Well, this morning, God is actually challenging us, and I know he's been really challenging me on this. Um, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, from a, a, a pastor's point of view, it's hard sometimes to know what is for you and what is for the body, you know? What are things you're getting convicted of, and what are things that we need to share out to bring, um, you know, a, a good righteous conviction of everyone? And so he's been challenging me on this, and I felt that it was for all of us here this morning. And so I hope you uh, bear with me patiently. Um, it's a good challenge. It's a challenge to, uh, to see things from a better perspective. Um, because this, this opportunity that God is challenging us with this morning, it has the ability um, to, to free us, to literally completely free us to rid our lives of so many burdens that weigh us down. So much darkness and negativity and grimness, um, you know, that, that the world tries to cast on us. This challenge has the ability to rid our lives of all bitterness, hatred, um, you know, negativity, hurt, uh, hate in our lives. But instead, it, 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 this challenge and this opportunity we're presented with, it has the ability to transform those things into peace. You can leave here this morning full of peace, full of hope, full of joy. Looking at the world in a completely different way, a completely different uh, perspective. You can leave here this morning having assurance and confidence as you walk out your faith here in this world. Um, it, it can give us joy in the midst of anything. But I have to warn you, because this, this challenge that can bring us all these things into our life, it requires that we do a little something on our part. We may have to make a sacrifice, a trade to the Lord. He wants to give us all those things. We've got to trade something in. We've got to give something over to him. And that thing that he's been challenging me on and that I'm sharing with you all this morning, he's challenging us to trade in our vision to him, to allow him to be our eyes, to be our sight, to allow him to guide and to direct our paths. And so you've heard that old cliché, I'm sure that seeing is believing, right? You've probably heard that before. You know, you won't believe it until you see it. I got to see this thing, you know. Unfortunately, we found, maybe fortunately, we found that this cliche saying that seeing is believing is definitely not true at all. In fact, the, the reverse is actually more true than not, that believing is seeing. The believing is seeing. People see what they want to believe. If you don't believe me, take a look at social media today. People will, be, will, will see what they want to believe, right? In every situation, your belief guides your sight. Um, and, you know, and actually, there's a group of people that have been leveraging this for a long, long time, and they've been doing it very, very well. And those are those magicians and illusionists, right? You know, you know I, don't, I don't know how you feel about it. I, I, sometimes I like being fooled. I'm just like, whoa, how did that happen, you know? But they, they leverage this 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 old cliche that seeing is believing. You see a wine bottle. And when you see that wine bottle, you're believing that it's made of glass, it's solid and everything. So when he takes a linen cloth and then he just smashes it and it disappears, you're like, whoa, how did he not like bust up his hand and everything, right? They leverage the fact that to you, seeing is believing. And they, you know, can, can manipulate you that way. And make you think that something happened that didn't really happen. You know, um, Nate's been watching through Netflix this, this uh, um, series called Mind Games. 
brain game, sorry, teaching you kind of how your brain works, and it, it just, it's amazing, you know, you see two different colors, but it's the same color, you see, you know, this tiny little guy on this huge chair, but it's all the same size, like, it's just all these things that mess with your mind, because seeing is believing, right, but it's not exactly true, we know that our eyesight can deceive us, what we see can be false, and so God desperately wants to transform our vision, our mindset, so that we see things accurately and correctly. Um, you know, we have all these preconceived notions. And, I mean, take a look at technology today, right? We have technology that pretty much enables us to make anything look like anything. I mean, it is amazing how realistic some of these movies and things are, right? You know, you can make anything look like anything. I mean, my daughters, they look like dogs half the time. I I, you know, I don't know why they want to look like that, and they, they sound, you know, like, I don't know, all high-pitched and everything. I mean, you know, you've got these, these filters, and I, I love the beauty filters. They can make an old chubby guy like me look, you know, look pretty slim and handsome. And, or they can make you look like an old, nine, you know, 90-year-old geezer, you know. I mean, they, they can do anything. But it looks so realistic, and we like to have fun with it, right? Everybody loves their Snapchat filters and whatnot, and, you know, all these apps that are going around that give you viruses, you know. You can have fun with it. In our day and age, we know that seeing is not believing because you can see things that look so realistic, but you know they're not true. You know that it's, it's deceit, that it's infactual, right? Um, take movies, for example. Some of my favorite movies. You know, you've got this, this scene from The Avengers destroyed me. You know, we have this thing called green screening. Like, the Hulk wasn't even there. They're running on, <laughs> they're running on treadmills in that super action scene, you know? Man, it just takes all the heroics out of it, you know, or the scene from The Matrix, you know, I, I was a 90s kid, that scene when he just goes back and avoids the bullets, amazing, and so you see what, they, they've got these two chubby guys in skin-tight green suits with a two-by-four, like, whew, laying them down, you know, but when you watch the movie, it's so realistic, you know, it just, it's so, it just blows you away, like, it, it, it's like heart-stopping, you're on the edge of your seat, you know, and it's so real to you, and you're so engaged, and then you see what it really looked like when they were shooting those scenes, and it's almost hilarious, you know, I mean, you've got these, these people that, that are, you know, they're just heroes, but in those heroic scenes that are filmed, they're running around a big green warehouse, interacting with, like, literally, I've seen one where they're interacting with, um, with uh, plastic uh, lawn chairs and, and yoga balls. Like, it looks like they're diving, and they're just rolling on yoga balls, you know? It just, it looks hilarious when you see it actually being filmed in real life. Seeing is not believing, okay? Seeing can deceive us, absolutely. Now, it is insane the world that we're living in. Give that same technology to everybody. Everybody can do this stuff now. You've, you've got this device that can record something that's pretty much like Hollywood quality. And you can even do all the cool uh, green screening and everything yourself, right? Not only give everybody access to that technology to make anything look like anything, but then give them a worldwide platform that they can broadcast and advertise it on. Not only that, you can interact personally with anyone in the world who watches your stuff, right? That's the world we're living in. But yet, most of us still believe that seeing is believing, right? And the world is being influenced. My my daughter loved the book series. I'm a movie guy, and I I read books when I was her age, and I watch movies. Um, You know, Hunger Games. And I remember thinking, how in the world can you, like, film a 30-second commercial and convince the entire world to raise up in revolt, you know? Like, come on, it's a little media scene. And then I look at the world today, and I'm like, oh, (laughs) 
That's how you do it. One little cell phone video clip, and the whole world goes insane, right? It's, it's unbelievable, the world that we're living in, and everybody has access to do that. On the flip side of things, wake up, church. You've got worldwide access. You've got the technology you need. Think about the world that we're living in. You have a worldwide platform. You can reach people for Christ, but what do we do instead? We divide everybody, and I'm not going to do all those nasty things. But not only that, my heart breaks for the church because we are so, so easily deceived by what we see online, what we read in blogs, what we watch on YouTube. Y'all send me stuff all the time, and I'm like, We need to stand on truth, (laughs) you know? Truth, truth. Not what you've seen on YouTube that looks like a a real video thing, you know? I mean, you can make anything look like anything, and you can overlay scriptures to prove it, right? I can quote the scriptures and defend almost any action that I can take. I can punch my wife in the face, and I can find scriptures to defend myself in doing that, right? We are so easily deceived, but we've got to see from the Lord's perspective. We've got to allow our vision to be changed so that we see truth so that we see accurately, so that we see the world around us through his eyes. Otherwise, we're going to miss it. Each and every one of us are susceptible to this deceit. We're going to miss it. Your heart is going to be in chaos. I'll tell you what, I flip on the news, and if you, if you put a blood pressure cuff on me, within five minutes, you'd probably think I need medicated, you know? <laughs> I mean, my blood gets boiling. I get angry with the things that I see, right? They know how to keep you going and how to keep a story riding for weeks, keeping you all upset about it, right? And they can control your life because of it. They control what you say. They control what you see. They control what you think. I already lost half the people. Okay, but they're doing this. They're doing this, and we need to wake up. We need to wake up and get back to where we're supposed to be in the body of Christ, right? Um, I want you to imagine, if you could... And this is still a challenge for me, just to imagine living life one single day. But when you live that day out, you wake up and your memory is completely erased of everything except for what you have personally, firsthand encountered and experienced. That means, you know, all, all the things that you've seen on social media, every news report, every third-person story that so-and-so told you happened, um, you know, every TV show, every YouTube video, every movie, every book, everything that you did not experience firsthand is erased from your memory. You would be a completely different person, wouldn't you? Our lives consist of so much more In fact, I would almost be willing to say that our lives consist more of what we have uh, heard about and seen third person than it is firsthand. We allow the influence of others so much. And believe me, this was designed by God, right? That's how the gospel went from 12 guys to, you know, thousands of years later, trillions of people. It's a good thing that we're influenced by others. But think about that. You know, how much is your life and your view of yourself— your view of God and your view of others influenced not by the word of God and not by your firsthand experiences with him, but your perspective is defined by what everyone else has told you to see, what everyone else has told you to think, what everyone else has told you to believe. 
if our life consisted of just our firsthand experiences, I think our lives would be so much better, stronger, because you'd be standing on some semblance of truth and not deceit necessarily, right? Just, it's just crazy to think about, to stop and to imagine that. Um, you know, there's that old, uh, that old hymn, that old kid's song that we have no idea when it was written or who it was written by, but be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? I'm, I was waiting for someone to sing it. But anyways, yeah, I, I'm not going to sing this morning. But God is challenging us this morning about this, to, to see with his eyes, to see yourself, to see him, and to see others through his eyes, from his perspective, and to walk forward in life with his vision. Stop being controlled, stop being manipulated, stop letting everyone else tell you what to believe and to think and to see, and start letting God have that position in your life right? Wouldn't our lives be so much more peaceful, so much more joyful? Because I'll tell you, the things that wreck my life, they're usually things that other people have told me. I can't believe that person would do that. What is wrong with them? They just, you know? (laughs) Think about it. I mean, if it wasn't for all these things, I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's a fine line here. Ignorance is bliss to a degree, isn't it? If nobody ever told you about the coronavirus, if no one ever told you about, like, the Holocaust, you have never firsthand experienced it. You'd have no idea that those things exist. Now, there's a danger in that. We need to learn from our history. We need to be aware of our history, right? But your life would be just based on your experiences, not necessarily a bad thing, right? You with me here so far? You understand where I'm going? It's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. And we as Christians need to be awake at all times and aware of what's coming through these eyes, through these ears, right? We need to be aware of what we're being fed. And you get to choose whether you eat it, line, hook, and sinker or not, right? Did some fishing, and it's hard to get fish to take the bait sometimes, right? We need to be more like those fish. I mean, come on, you know? We shouldn't be like, oh, you know, going after every single thing that gets thrown our way and just eating it up and just, you know, uh, allowing it to, to define us and to, uh, you know, to allow it to influence us. Now, what we're talking about this morning, our vision, um, it's been a, an issue from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Okay, you guys have all read Genesis, right? At least Genesis 1. Did you make it through chapter 3? I think most of us here this morning have made it that far into the Bible, right? Can you raise your hand if you made it through Genesis 3? All right, yeah! Woo! Yes, if not, you can do it this afternoon. It's really simple, easy-peasy stuff. In the beginning, from day one, God created the heavens and the earth. And he did that over the course of six days, right? He created everything. And on each one of those days, he did what most men do. You step back, take a look at what you did throughout the course of the day, and he, he, he did what? And he said, it's good. What did he do? He saw He looked. He looked at what he created, and he said, it's good. We're created by God to be influenced by our vision. Our vision guides us. Our vision helps us to make decisions in life, helps us to decide things and to discern things. You are created in the image of God. It's a good thing. But our vision can be manipulated and leveraged and used against us. So God saw, and he said that it is good. Then what happens in Genesis 3? Have you read about this? A serpent shows up. And uh, the two things that Adam and Eve were told not to do, some of us forget about the other thing, um, was to not eat the fruit of a certain tree, right, in the, in the middle of the garden. 
that serpent shows up and, um, and he questions Eve because Eve says, yeah, God did say, you know, not to, not to eat the fruit of that tree or you'll surely, surely die. The serpent says in verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Guess what? What he said is true, isn't it? The enemy doesn't necessarily speak lies. He speaks deceit, half-truths. He takes the truth and he twists it a bit. When he tempted Jesus in the garden, what did he do? He quoted the word of God. (laughs) Satan quoted the word of God. He probably knows the word of God better than you do. He actually met him before firsthand, you know, right, in person. Uh, He used to, like, hang out in his house and everything. You guys remember where Satan came from, right? Garden chariot, yeah. Anyways, so yeah. Satan doesn't work the way that we think he works most often. So, he said, your eyes will be opened, and you'll know things. And in verse 6, here's what happened. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She saw, she saw, she saw. Her eyes led her astray. Our vision can lead us astray so easily. Our vision is what veers us off the path that God has us on more often than not. And then uh, it says she also gave some to her husband. So whose fault was this? We're not going to play that game this morning. You can talk to your spouse about that later. In verse 7, it says, Then, after they both ate it. This was interesting. I never really saw that before. So, you know, after they both ate it, in verse 7 it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Isn't that exactly what Satan said would happen? Their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So mankind, from the very beginning, chose to sin, chose to veer off course because of vision. Because they saw something. Their vision led them astray. Now when we talk about vision this morning, we're not talking about literal eyesight, obviously. Neither was Satan, neither was God. Not talking about literal eyesight when we're talking about your eyes being opened. I mean, if we were to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, and he meant literally, like you'd be walking around like this, and Christians would be the number one cause for insurance claims for wrecking their vehicles, and you mean, you know, not physically, not physically. When we talk about vision, we are talking about um, something more, more so. The core of your life, the, the center of who you are. Because think about what we just read here. Now, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and their eyes were opened, does that mean that they were wearing, like, these special clothes that as soon as they ate a certain fruit, they just dissolved and disappeared? No. Adam and Eve were naked from the beginning, from the very beginning. But there was no shame in it. There was no condemnation in it. They weren't embarrassed by it. They are just hanging out, like most of us guys do at home some days, maybe. Anyways, um... (laughs) No. What happened when their eyes were opened? Their physical vision did not change. Okay, get that picture out of your head, please. Okay. Um, Their vision did not change. But yet, as Satan said, their eyes were opened. Their perspective changed. Not their literal eye. And I feel like I have to preach like behind a curtain or something. Um, their, their perspective had changed. Their vision had changed. Not their literal eyesight. Their perspective. The way that they viewed themselves changed, didn't it? The way they viewed themselves had changed. The way they viewed others had changed, right? Adam and Eve, the way they viewed each other, it changed. And what really 
really killed us when it came to the first sin, their perspective of God changed, didn't it? Because when God came strolling through the cool of the day like he always did and they just hung out together, they didn't just come and be like, hey, what's up, God? They ran away and hid. Their perspective changed. That's what God wants to redeem this morning. That is what is going to take away your guilt, take away your shame, take away your condemnation, take away your hurt, take away your pain, take away your bitterness of all that person, and it's going to give you joy and hope and peace and comfort and all the fruits of the Spirit. They come as a result of our vision, our perspective, the way that we see ourselves, God, and others. It is, it is not our literal eyesight that needs change, but our perspective. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And I don't believe for a minute that Jesus is talking about literal eyesight here. It's your perspective. Your perspective defines who you are because it defines how you view yourself. And the way that you view yourself is who you will be. You know, I mean, take a look at King Saul. He stood ahead above everybody else. Massive guy. But how did he view himself? When it came time to anoint him as king, he was hiding. He, d- he didn't view himself like much of anything. And there are too many Christians in the body of Christ today who see themselves as good for nothing. Who see themselves as, what do I have to offer? I can't help. I can't give. What can I do? Who am I, right? You, you see yourself the way that Satan defines you, by your sin, by your mistakes, by your past, by your... That is not who you are. If we could see ourselves from Christ's perspective, if we could see ourselves for who Jesus says we are, man, would we be confident and assured. Man, would we walk through life differently, right? I'm not afraid. There's no fear going to hold me down. What can man do to me? Send me to the Father. Whoa, yeah, I win. I win no matter what, right? And that's how the early church lived. When the government confiscated their property, they clicked their heels for joy because they were worthy to suffer the name. If the government came tomorrow and kicked you out of your house, how would most Christians in the United States respond today? But Jesus said, every nation's going to hate you because of me. Is the United States a nation? What does God's word teach? We've got to get our perspective shifted. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't defend yourself in some situations. That's a whole other message for another time, but... Come on, where, where does our everything come from? Who is God to us? It's defined by those things. Take a look at your calendar. Take a look at your checkbook. Let somebody else tell you how you're living, and they will tell you what you're passionate about and what is number one in your life. And if, if I ask myself, it's not always Jesus. I'm going to just confess that before you this morning. There are some things that consume my life that have no right to be there. They're either beside or above the Lord, and nothing belongs there, right? First commandment, no other God before or beside him. But, you know, our eyes, our vision, that's why Jesus said that if you look at someone with lust, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. Eyes, hearts, like our vision defines who we are and what we're going to do. It does. The way that you look at things defines your beliefs. Um, We must set our vision. Uh, Isaiah, he said that he set his vision like flint. Like Flint, not looking to the left or the right or up or down. He just set his vision so that that, because that defines the course of your life, right? First thing I learned whenever I went through a motorcycle safety course, right, is where you look 
is where you go. And man, were they right, too. <laughs> where you look is where you go. Same with driving a car. You know, we got behind a person, um, you know, when we were driving on vacation, and I saw all of a sudden their head disappeared. And they're, like, down here looking for something, you know, and they're like, you know. Where you look is where you're going to go. Your vision sets your destiny. If you think you are, that's what you're going to become. If you think the world is, that's what it's going to be to you. Believing is seeing. Once you believe something in your heart, it's set. That's your vision. Um, if we don't allow God in that place of setting our vision and directing our vision, that's why we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, we're headed for a wreck. Literally and spiritually, we're going to get off course. There's no doubt about it. Moses warned God's people of love and concern for them. They saw with their eyes the mighty acts of God. And this is what he said in Deuteronomy 4.9. He said, be careful. Watch yourselves closely. Again, eyes, watch yourself. So that you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. Or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Now it is a really disappointing reality, but I know I've done it myself. God does a miracle in your life. And you're like on cloud nine. You're thrilled about what God, God just did a miracle. He just set me free from this. He just provided for this. And you forget about it so quickly, don't we? We forget about it so quickly. Man, we, are, we can't wait to get to church and to worship him on Sunday. You know, we just can't wait because of what he's done. And we want to give, we go up here and we stand and we just wait because we just want to give a testimony of what he did, you know. And we do all those things, but then the next Sunday after life hits you a little bit harder, right? Because that's what life does. In this world you will have what? Troubles. That's what Jesus said. But to take heart, heart, eyes, vision, it's what all guides us. The following Sunday, man, your worship, you're like, you got your arms crossed, and you're like, okay, when's this over? Too loud, too quiet, can't hear this, can't hear that, that's too loud. You're criticizing and tearing everything apart. You've lost your heart for worship. You have forgotten what you have seen God do. Because if you remember what God has done in your life, you wouldn't be able to contain your worship. It would be exuberant, overflowing with joy. That's how the early church described their worship. That's David in his undies dancing around, you know, embarrassing his wife too. So you're in good shoes. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on. You couldn't contain your worship. But we all do it. We are all guilty of this. Our hearts become hardened by the sinful world around us. Our perspective becomes jaded. And our perspective towards God is no different, no exception. We lose our vision, right? That's what happens in life. We lose our vision. We lose sight of who we are. We lose sight of who God is. And we lose sight of other people and how important they are to the Lord. And how we ought to be treating them. How we ought to be talking about them. How we ought to be, uh, you know, just dealing with them. When Jesus opened the blind eyes, it was a miracle that reached far further than just their literal physical eyesight. Yes, he did that. But he's still opening blind eyes today. And that's what he wants to do this morning. He wants to do that miracle of opening our eyes. He wants to give us eyes to see. Think about that. If just one single sinful act can open the eyes of Adam and Eve and cause us to have perverted vision ever since, think about what the Holy Spirit can do by giving us, opening up our eyes and giving us eyes to see. If one sin can cause a perspective change that drastic, think about what the Holy Spirit can do when he redeems our vision and gives us his sight, right? Powerful things happen 
when we see from the Lord's perspective. Believing is seeing. I haven't even got the message yet. Believing is seeing. Right? If you believe that Billy, because we don't have a Billy here this morning. I usually use Bob, and then he comes, and it's embarrassing. I use Joe, and then he's here, and it's embarrassing. I don't want to talk about anyone in particular. Billy! If we believe that Billy is a good-for-nothing bum, everything Billy does, everything that we see him do, everything we see him say, guess what we're going to see? A good-for-nothing lazy bum, right? If we see, if, no, if we believe, rather, if we believe that uh, God does not exist, right? Everything I see is going to reinforce that belief. If I believe that all Democrats are evil, then everything I see a Democrat do, I'm going to see it as evil and wicked, and I can't believe they do that, right? If I believe that God is a merciful patience, forgiving God, who doesn't want any to perish, but wants everyone to have eternal life. If I believe that, that's how I'm going to look at other people. That's how I'm going to look at myself. That's how I'm going to look at God himself. If I believe that no one is too far gone for God's grace to do a mighty work, if I believe that Jesus is really the answer and the solution for all these problems, then that's what I'm going to see. I'm going to see that solution out there every time that problem arises. If I believe that Jesus died on the cross to make salvation possible for every single person across the face of the earth, throughout the course of history, and for all time until he comes again, right? And if I believe If I believe that he served the needs of a sinner like you and me who did nothing to deserve it, we're not worthy of it, right? If we believe that he did it for us anyways, if we believe that he did it and he allowed people to spit on his face, he allowed people to call him names, he allowed people to strip him nude, he allowed people to scourge the flesh off his bones, he allowed people to mock him, and what did he do in response He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If the God of all the universe can do that, and we believe he did that, shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't we see things from a little bit of a different perspective? Here's here's why believing is seeing and seeing isn't believing. John chapter 6. You've read about it. A little boy has five loaves of barley and two fish, right? right, We've talked about this many times before. And he feeds 5,000 men not including women and children with it. Jesus performs that miracle for this people. He feeds 5,000 plus many more, and there's leftovers. Those same people, guess what they did? Read it for yourself in John chapter 6. After he did that miracle, they said, we want to believe that you are the Messiah. Show us a sign. We want to believe, but we need to see it. If you didn't just... Did you not just see what I did there? That's basically how Jesus responds. Jesus said, you have seen it, and yet still you don't believe. And he did no miracle for them, because he did a miracle for them. Wake up, we're just as guilty. We've done it ourselves, haven't we? We've done it ourselves. God's done a miracle in our lives, and we're like, well, Jesus, if, if you just do this, then I'll believe. No, seeing is not believing. And Jesus literally said that in John chapter 6. You saw and you still don't believe. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. What you believe is what shapes your vision. So be careful, little eyes, what you see, because that does shape what you believe. God warned in the Old Testament through Moses. Think, Think about all these people. I had no idea. I knew it was a New Testament quote. I had no idea how often this phrase was spoken to God's people in the Old Testament. He spoke through Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Job, Jeremiah. And he said, my people don't have eyes to see. And then Jesus came and he quoted them. And and Paul came and he quoted them. Think about that. Elijah. 
Elijah, whenever the, the army's coming on, they're going to kill them. His young servant, Elisha, is it fear-stricken. How many Christians are fear-stricken in the world today, right? They're like, what's going to happen? World War III's coming. And man, I, I got I to gotta go get you know, some ammo right now because you know, that's, that's going to be the only solution, you know? Elijah was like, God, give him eyes to see. God, show my servant. And Elisha's eyes were opened, and he saw, man, the chariots of fire, and there's more for them than there were against them, right? Eyes to see. And guess what eyes to see did for Elisha? Melted all of his fear and gave him all the confidence in the world to go forward and face his enemy. That's what we need in the body of Christ today. We need eyes to see. I'm not saying that what's happening in the world isn't bad. It is. It's horrible. It's horrific. And if I don't watch my heart and watch my vision, it makes me pretty angry. It makes me pretty scared. It makes me want to sleep with a shotgun beside my bed at night. You know, it's all these things. I mean, it's craziness. But I've got to remember. I've got to remember who I am. I've got to remember who has my back. I've got to remember the angelic host that is serving me, right? I've got to remember I'm not alone in this. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, right? The truth. We need the truth to shape our perspective. Um, Now, when we look around the world around us, right, we see this. We see division. We see hate. We see strife. We see wickedness. We see greed. And we see just needs everywhere. People starving and people getting mistreated and all these things. But when we look at the world around us through God's eyes, what we should also see are opportunities, to bring unity, to, to, to love people, opportunities to bring rest and goodness and generosity. We see a world that is in need of the hope that only Jesus can provide. And who has Jesus entrusted to tell the world about this? You and me. If you haven't noticed, he's not physically here anymore. We're the body of Christ now. We are ambassadors on behalf of our king. We speak on his behalf. Don't be a lazy, wicked servant. Tell someone about it. Tell someone some good news, right? They know what's happening out there. You don't need to tell them about it. They can turn anywhere and hear about all those nasty, awful things happening out there, right? Think about this. Most of us live out in the country. How patient would you be if your mail carrier or if your postmaster decided they're just going to hang on to your mail until a good opportunity presented itself? They're just going to hang on to your mail until they happen to, you happen to be at the mailbox when they drive by to deliver it, right? You know, if, if, that, if that postmaster was like, Jesus, you just you give me the opportunity and, and I'll give them their mail, right? They'd be hanging on that mail for a long time, right? And how would you feel? Pretty irate. Yeah, your bills aren't getting paid. Well, I can't pay a bill I didn't receive. I mean, you got all these things happening, man. Don't hang on to the mail. Deliver that good news, if you have an opportunity, you have an opportunity. Don't like, excuse it away and wait for something. You know, because you, you possess something far more valuable than, yes, even that Harbor Freight catalog. You, you possess a piece of mail, a piece of good news, far more valuable than that or any cell phone bill that people could receive. Now, Proverbs warns us that a person without vision, they cast off restraint and they perish. A person with no vision... Or with a wrong vision for who they are, who God is, and who other people are. What they're doing is not living. They're dying. If you don't know who you are, 
If you don't know who God is, then you are dying. You're not living. You're not living life. God wants us to see ourselves and our purpose and our destiny through his eyes so that we might live and live abundant lives. Now, during the days of judges, what did everybody do? What was right in their own eyes? Did it end very well for them? No, they lived in chaos and their nation was destroyed. They were all taken off into slavery. Eyes, 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 all through the scriptures. I can't even quote because we'd be here all day. The amount of times when our vision was our problem as a people of God. And it's no different in the world today. Our vision is our issue. That's what is leading and guiding us. Now here's the good news. And here's the ending in the message. The good news is we are a prophetic people, right? We are a prophetic people. You get to see better things than the rest of the world gets to see. So na-na-na-na-na, right? You know, we get to see better things. We at least should be seeing better things. According to... um, Because here's how this works. We see the facts. Don't ever deny the facts. Abraham and Sarah admitted the fact their body was as good as dead. There's no way that she could conceive a baby in their 90s and hundreds or however old they were. They admitted the fact. Christians see the fact. Get informed. Turn on the news. See what's happening. I mean, there are things happening out there in the world. Don't be, don't like climb in a hole like an ostrich and pretend it's not going on. We see the world around us, and we see the, tru- the facts, and we see the realities. But we have something else that accompanies those facts. We have truth. We have promises. We have hope. We have a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who reigns sovereign over all. We have a relationship with the God who was there in the beginning, The God who is here right now and sees what's happening, and he's also been in the end. He knows how the story ends. So you get to see it all from his perspective. You receive a truth that trumps the facts. That's why miracles are possible. You have the promises and the truth of God that will trump and override any fact that you may be living in. How good is that? We should be excited about that. I know we're still nodding off sleeping. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put half of you to sleep. From the world's perspective, we can see all those things, but we get to see something better too. Because here's how this works. We see the facts from the world's view, but we also see with eyes of faith. We see what is not yet seen. Since we see with our faith bifocals, this is kind of how I equate this. Anybody have bifocals? I don't need them yet. I stare at little code on computer screens too much, otherwise I wouldn't need these. You see farsighted, but you all, I mean, you see nearsighted, but you also see farsighted. You have bifocals. Christians have bifocals if we choose to put them on and use them. We see nearsighted. We see the way things are here and now, how awful and nasty and, and terrifying they are and hopeless they are. But we also have farsighted vision. We see the truth of God. We see the promises of God. We see the future that could take place. We get to see both. How awesome is that? We get to see those things. And then, because we can see them, we can believe them. And when we believe them, those things that we see farsighted, the truth and the promises of God, they become our reality. A miracle takes place. And then, everybody gets to see how awesome our God is when when his promises come to pass. 
We see from God's perspective who, I love this, according to Romans 4.17. Memorize this scripture. It's just awesome. And I have it in a few different versions up here. We see things from God's perspective who, according to Romans 4.17, speaks to things that are not as though they were. Sounds a bit like a crazy person, right? Only to those who are not saved. It's foolishness to those who are not saved. To you who are saved and you have those faith bifocals, you're like, I see it. It's like when I'm hunting with my kids. I'm like, there's a deer right there. Where? It's right there. Where? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Like I'm holding the gun up. It's right there. How can you not see that thing, you know, right? That's what you get to be in the body of Christ. You see it even though the world doesn't. It's that real to you. You believe it. You believe it and therefore you see it, right? You, you can ask, you know, how many times I've shot things that were not deers because I believed it was a deer, right? It's in my younger age, you know? When you go around believing with that much faith, you start seeing it everywhere, right? This is our reality. This doesn't just work in the body of Christ. It works in the world. That's why when the media runs a negative ad and they tell you about how horrible things are and how awful so-and-so is, people believe it, right? And then they start seeing it. They believe it and they see it. Man, let's give them some good news to believe in, something better to believe in. Then they'll start seeing it. Um, It also says that we um, get to see things from God's perspective who makes something out of nothing. We get to see things from God's perspective who calls things which do not exist as if though they did. We have prophetic vision. We just got to get them bifocals on, right? We got to see things, not just nearsightedly, but also farsightedly. And let me tell you, the farsighted, they see better things. They see the promises. They see the hope. They see the truth. And that's why they can war and pray and believe and speak to that truth because they see it. And they only see it because they believe it. So we've got to let that be our guide. And, you know, just as a little reminder here, if I could have some kids... These little cool things will be a reminder to you to put on your bifocals, okay? The next time your heart is overwhelmed with worry and fear, the next time you get so irritated with that person that you just want to punch them, get out your bifocals. Yes, you see things as they truly are. Yes, you see the world as it truly is. But you have the opportunity to see from God's perspective. You have the opportunity to see better things. You have the opportunity to see who that person was created to be. And it's not the annoying, creepy jerk that they are right now, right? You get to call out the good stuff in that annoying, creepy jerk. You get to call out the good stuff. You get to encourage them into it. You get to be an ambassador of God. You get to be his voice. You get to be his hands. You get to be his feet. You get to bring into existence that which does not exist. How cool is that? You get to speak to things that are not as if though they were. You get to make something out of nothing. You get to call things which do not exist as if though they did, and you're not crazy. We get to see hope, right, in hopelessness. We get to see good in tragedy. We get to see healing in sickness. We get to see life even through death. We get to see freedom even in bondage. We get to be comforted even in our mourning. We get abundance anytime that there's need. We receive all those things. Well, someone's excited about it. I'm excited. It's awesome. So I want to encourage you. If you look around... And all that you see are a bunch of evil, wicked people 
perverse and dishonest, a bunch of hateful people, and, and, and a bunch of people that just want to shut you up and steal away your rights or, you know, whatever. Man, get those bifocals on. That may be who they are, but that's not the whole story. You know how the story ends, okay? Don't get caught up in the middle of the story. Read the ending. Get you some hope. Get you some confidence. Get you some insurance, right, of how things are going to end. Get into God's word. I can't emphasize this enough. Get into his word. There's no excuse not to be, like, saturated in it. I mean, it's everywhere and anywhere and every version. And, I mean, they even got picture Bibles, for Pete's sake, you know, if you don't like reading. They've got movies. They've got audio. You can download the Version app. It'll read the Bible to you if you don't want to do it, you know? I mean, come on. Get into the Word of God. Get into God's presence. We didn't throw together a worship team and we don't download YouTube videos just so that we sing something. We want you to get into the presence of God. We want you to encounter him, experience him. That's what we're about here. That's what makes New Hope different from most churches in the valley. We're all about a personal encounter and experience with God. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe for those miracles. We're going to speak to things that are not as if though they were. And we don't care who thinks we're crazy, right? We're going to stand on the word of God no matter what the circumstances say otherwise. All right. And guess what? Because you do those things, you get to see God's miraculous hand firsthand. You get to see it. You get to see your far-sighted vision become reality. I close with this. Peter wrote a few letters to the body of Christ for this very purpose. He wanted to give us a vision, and this is what he said. And this is what the church needs so desperately today. Um, yeah, because believing is seeing. We know that. He said, my dear friends... This is now the second time that I've written to you. Both letters are reminders to hold your minds in a state of undistracted attention. To stimulate you to wholesome thinking and just to refresh your memory. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of what the Word of God says and what He promises and who He is. Sometimes we need that. And that's what Peter was doing to the body of Christ. He was reminding them, man, just to to keep your attention undistracted because there's so much in this world right now that will throw us off course. It's like playing dodgeball on a unicycle, okay? That's what I feel like in the world today. You're just trying to just be happy and love Jesus and, 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 and run the race that you've been set to, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you know, some bully comes out of nowhere and you know, throws a ball at you. We've got to keep our attention undistracted. We have to be unshaken. The only way you can do that is to be on the rock that cannot be shaken, right? To keep your hope fixed in him. In this crazy world, Man, turn your focus and keep your eyes on him, on Jesus. Get in the word, get into worship, get into his presence. And then you won't be moved. You won't be shaken when these things come your way. Don't ignore the fact that they exist, that the world, guess what? We live in a fallen world that's full of sin. And the last time that I read the word in regards to the end times, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Okay? It's going to. Your own nation's going to hate you because of Jesus. It's what Jesus said. And what Jesus said, I, I don't think he's a liar. He hasn't let me down yet. So we've got to be careful where we put our hope, where we put our trust, and what these little eyes see. We need to be careful what voices are speaking into our lives. We need to be careful with those things. Be aware, but allow God alone to be your vision, 
allow God's voice alone to be truth, and allow him to be your guide through this life. It's a crazy adventure, but it's so much fun. You will be able to navigate through the darkest, most horrific storms of your life with hope. If you've never, if you've never been in touch with, with the persecuted church, and I don't mean United States people that, that think their rights are being persecuted. I'm talking about the actual persecuted church. People getting locked in storage crates and not fed and beaten every day until they deny the name of Jesus. People that are losing their heads. I read a story once about a little girl that got, um, you know, I think it was the Germans had put her inside of this wall and just brick by brick buried her alive. Look at what kept them going through. It was their, their vision. Look at Stephen as he was getting stoned. And I don't mean in the way that most people get stoned today. When Stephen was on the verge of death, what did he do? He said, I see. I see the Lord. Man, he was getting brutally murdered. And yet there was this light on his face. There was this joy that he had in the middle of that persecution because he was going to meet his Lord. He didn't care what happened around him. We need to have that kind of vision where we see Christ in it all and through it all so that we don't get shoved off course, so that we don't become wearisome or, or, or worrisome or burdened or scared or terrified or any of these things. Our vision is what's going to affect that. All right, so get your bifocals on. See farsightedly. See better things. And man, you're going to see God work all things together for good, aren't you? It's going to be great. All right, so as we close, if you know this song, you can worship to it. It's an oldie. But man, just let this be your prayer. If you do nothing else as we close out this service this morning, just let this be your prayer. Let this be your cry. And let this define your life from today till the day that you meet Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we thank you, God, that you have a plan and purpose for those around us, Lord. Help us to see things the way you do, Lord. Help us to be your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece, whatever it is that you want to use us for in this world. God, help us to know and, and just reach out to those who are hurting. God, help us to just have a heart for everyone around us, God, the way you would. And, Lord, help us to see past things. God, help us to see the way you see Lord, just give us your heart and your eyes. Lord, we want to be your uh, vessel here on the earth. We want to represent you well. So, Lord, as we go forth, Lord, and as we leave today, Lord, I just pray for that over each one. Lord, that we would see things from your perspective, God. That we would start to see things a little different, God. Give us a compassion and a heart and an empathy, Lord, for those around us. Lord, just give us sensitivity to your spirit and your leading, Lord, as we do go forth in this world. Lord, just be everything we need, but Lord, give us strength and courage and all those things to do those things. Lord, we just thank you, and we will continue to praise your name. And Lord, I pray for safety over each one going out of here today. I pray that, Lord, we just carry your peace with us, Lord, and we just continue to um, represent you here on the earth. And it's in your name.